Presentation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 35 of the Bible and Mass. If this is your first time joining us, um, just a quick overview of what the Bible and Mass is. It is ultimately a Bible study um, that we air each Sunday evening at 7.30 on our Plantation SDA YouTube and our PlantationSDA.tv.com. Um, the, the idea of this whole thing is to read the entire Bible throughout the year 2021. So what we're doing is each week, we're sharing a segment of the Bible that we're reading. Uh, we're sharing with the friends, families. We're sharing it during Sabbath service and on social media. And, and you take that segment, you're able to read it with your family members, your friends, your coworkers. And as you're reading and as you're studying together, if you have any questions, you just pause where you are. You text that question right into 954-388-8780. And what happens is each week we have our pastors and our principal Stevenson um, from Sawgrass Adventist School. They will address each of your questions weekly. Um, so again, as you're reading, just make sure that you're going through. If you have any questions, you pause, you send those questions in to 954-388-8780. And that way your questions can be addressed live on, on our um, Bible and Mass weekly recording. Um, and if you are watching, if you have not yet, make sure you subscribe to our Plantation SDA Church YouTube channel. That way you'll be automatically notified of any future episodes or any other live streams that we have. Uh, so as we begin, I want to introduce our presenter this evening, Pastor Kevin McCoy. Pastor Kevin, hello, how are you? I am well, giving God thanks for the opportunity to be here for another um, episode of the Bible and Mask, um, which I'm looking forward to. So very happy. Thank God. Yes, this is a, a very special episode. Thank you. <laughs> we are very glad that you're here this evening as well, Pastor Kevin. Um, could you please just, just pray for us this evening as we go into our discussion? All right, let us pray. Spirit of God, the one whose glory dwells among the living creatures and in the midst of the wheel. We pray that your glory will be revealed tonight through the study of your words. That our hearts and our minds will be transformed and turn to you, the living God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, so as we head into our discussion, uh, what we normally do is kind of give you a quick overview of what we read last week, what we read this week, um, and then we'll go into some questions that we received from the viewers. Um, so Pastor Kevin, first, last week's reading was uh, Jeremiah chapters 37 to 52. Uh, could you really briefly just remind the viewers what it was that we covered last week in that reading? Right. So, um, and I have to give a shout out to the Thomases, um, Dr. Dex and um, Sister Elizabeth for the wonderful job they did last week. And uh, to celebrate the way that they do, um, they're very practical, very to the point, very applicable. And so I want to, I want to endorse um, viewing their series also when they, they, are on, they are doing their episode. So shout out to my friends. Um, and they did a wonderful job with with looking at the life of Jeremiah and the difficult task he had as a prophet 
and dealing with some difficult people, um, dealing with difficult leaders, dealing with difficult um, circumstances, his own, the own weight of, of, of his calling upon him as the weeping prophet and, and how he had to navigate that difficult experience. So, um, yeah, we looked at, at Jeremiah and his ministry um, as he ministered to the people while they, they um, part in, in exile, part going in exile. Yes, that's a, that's a heavy one. Uh, yeah. And this week is actually pretty heavy as well. This had some very um, metaphorical things that had to be explained, especially when we get into Ezekiel. Um, so this week's reading was from Lamentations 1 through Ezekiel 17. So could you, before we go into the questions, just give a brief overview of what those chapters covered as well? Right. So in the book of Lamentations, very short five chapters, but very powerful in its poetic um, construction but also in the way it embodies the people's grief, right? Um, and human emotions. When, it's, when, when you think about human emotions and grief and how to live with that and wrestle with that, um, Lamentations is, a, is, a, is something, to, is a book to consider. Also, then we look at um, the prophet uh, Ezekiel and his ministry. Um, unlike... Uh, Unlike Jeremiah, he had he had some status as a, as a from a priestly line, um, and he had a, a, a very difficult task. The, the, the way they prophesy differ in, in ways uh, because you're going to find that um, Ezekiel is very mystical, um, very uh, ecstatic, um, oh. taken off by the spirit in, in various places. Um, so. You're going to see the spirit moving in some ways. And matter of fact, how the people are, are, are living in their time and God is using him to bring them back to God and to honor God's, God's holy name. So very, very interesting, very interesting um, books we have looking at. I agree. I do agree. Um, okay. So we will go into the questions that we received. Um, there weren't a, a lot of questions this week, but they were heavy questions. They were some <laughs> in-depth questions. Uh, so going right into it, the first question states in Lamentations verse, um, chapter, five, chapter 1, verses 5, 12, 15, and 16, Jeremiah seems to be blaming God for the devastation that plagues the city. Why is that? Uh, um, <laughs> right into it. <laughs> right into it. Very hard. One. Yeah. So we, I mentioned this concept earlier, and we're going to see it play out again. Deuteronomy, and and we saw it, uh, and and it's evident when it comes to Reformation in the prophetic periods. In any period, we're going to find them referring to this concept or idea of deuteronomistic theology. What I mean is that the blessings and the curses that are, were pronounced in, in Deuteronomy, if you live well, you are blessed. If you, mm -hmm. if you obey, you are blessed. If you disobey, you are cursed. Like something like that. It's, mm -hmm. it's still coming to play and the prophets are always drawing on that because they want to draw back Israel into a covenant relationship. And so they always join to that point. And we're going to see in this in, in, in Lamentations and also in Ezekiel, that this Deuteronomistic theology is still coming back. And I'm going to say more about that. But um, one, they say Jeremiah is blaming, blaming God. So 
I understand why people name Jeremiah as the as the author of of, of lamentations, because mm-hmm. there's the same kind of emotionality, the same That's kind real. of yeah. um, tone and wrestling with grief and and bearing grief. Um, so I understand why people say that, but the, the book Lamentations is actually um, anonymous because there's no no author named in the book. Um, it's just an attribution. It's it's attributed to Jeremiah um, because of the content and similarity. But there is the person who is speaking is one who has witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem, has witnessed the destruction of God's holy place, and and and. Uh, they, they, the, 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 their grief is ripe and raw. And the only way they can make sense of it is to say that God is doing this, right? And I, I, wanna, I just want to read a few verses of the verses that were mentioned. Yeah. He it says in okay. verse five, chapter one, verse five, uh, her foes have become her masters because her, her enemies prosper because the Lord has made her suffer. Verse 12, um, it is nothing, is it nothing to you who pass by? Look and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought upon me, which the Lord has inflicted, wow. right? Verse 15, the Lord has rejected all my warriors in the midst of me. He proclaimed the time against me to crush my young men. Verse 16, for these things I weep, my eyes flow with tears, for a comforter is far from me. One to revive my courage, my children are desolate, for my enemy has prevailed. There's a sense that God is bringing, bringing punishment upon the people. And the answer comes in verse 18. Listen to what verse 18 says. The Lord is right, for I have rebelled against his word. So in essence, they're saying that it is indeed God who is punishing them. This plague, this devastation is an act of punishment from God because we have rebelled. So here again, they are drawing on this Deuteronomistic theology that because we sin, we receive punishment. But if we obey, we will receive blessings. So they, they are attributing this to, to God because of the Deuteronomistic theology is playing in their mind. Right? And, and rightly so. And so in our time, when we think of, you know, some, um, or, or in our time, our first thing to say is that God is not... God is not an evil God because we want to defend God's character, right? We, we have the tendency Always. to defend God. God will not punish you for this. God will not punish you for that. But from a biblical perspective, and more so from the Deuteronomistic theology, we see where um, how we live also influence. There's, there's responsibility and accountability for our actions. Mm-hmm. We're going to see that in, in Ezekiel again. We have to take account for our actions, um, as drastic and as devastating as they may be. Um, it, when the, God's hand comes upon us for our sins, it's heavy, Our right? It, it's a, yeah. It's a heavy, yeah, he it's doesn't a, really play. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um, it's it's a heavy hand. So that that's important to note that the people, the the, the person speaking, and sometimes we we heard we hear the first person speaking on behalf of the people. Um, who are, you know, as, a, as an eyewitness, who has witnessed the grief, the, the destruction rather, and is exp- expressing the grief. So um, uh, it seemed as far as lamentation is concerned, God is bringing this devastation. God has brought this devastation 
upon the city as an act of punishment because the people rebel against God. Rebel. And again, this is this is key to, to this is a key key thing. I've said before, and I want to just reiterate it. Often in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, punishment always comes as an act of disobedience and not because um, there's a devil bringing evil upon us. I want to make that very clear because sometimes mm. we, attribute, we attribute things to the devil to say, uh, it's a devil cause, it's a devil cause, it's a, it's a devil. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we have to take a look in ourselves and see where, how am I living? And what am I doing? Mm-hmm. What am I doing that is right? So, so yeah, it's, it's a heavy thing to bear. Yeah. It is. it is. It is. Kind of thinking along the lines of you do, you do something and there's a consequence for it. If you right. do something bad, you know, just like if you're a kid, you did something wrong, you were punished for it. Yeah. Um, and you're punished because you were loved. So, and, and that, that, that those kind of, those kind of languages are, those kind of, that kind of language is used in there. Um, mm-hmm. Talking about, you know, Israel, Jerusalem as a as a as a bride who has been um, bride, deserted yeah. by her husband and stuff. Talking about God pulling away, right? It's mm-hmm. God's pulling away that brings this judgment. God pulls away God's protection that brings in this 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 devastation. Yeah, that's it. Okay, all right. So this next one, um, they are pulling from Lamentations three verses forty four, and it says, "You have covered yourself with a cloud." so that no prayer can get through. That is an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, is there ever a time when God does not hear our prayers? <sighs> is there mm-hmm. ever a time when God, yeah, because remember, they're witnessing, they're witnessing raw grief, right? They yeah. are witnessing the repercussions of their actions and they're wondering, you know, is there no comforter for me? Am I not going to be com- mm-hmm. is God is God is God going to go to the point of full destruction? Is God going to go? Is God going to get rid of us as His covenant people? That's kind of the, the mm-hmm. question that's lingering in the back of their heads. And you're going to find that in chapter five too in, in Lamentations, right? When they are pleading for mercy and and it comes the last verses and they're they're really questioning God, like God, are you not going to do what come around? So you find this kind of tension where it seems as if there's God is far away from them and, and it echoes, it echoes themes of Job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this kind of punishment for sin and then this kind of distance, regardless of distance from us. And also in, in Isaiah when, you know, our sin separates us from God and we, we feel a sense of that. Um, but the, what, what the experience here is uh, one of guilt also and a sense that, um, Sin has brought a separation between the people and God. And they reach the point where they're praying and it seems as if God is not answering. But when you look at prayer, not just in the context of um, lamentations, but interpreting prayer or looking at prayer from a full biblical perspective, I would say that there's the only prayer God doesn't hear and answer is a prayer that is not prayed. Right? Or the prayer that is not brought to God, or the request that is not brought to God. Um, but and we're going to see that in the book of Lamentations. The, the, the punishment is always expected to bring us back into reconciliation with God. That's, the, context, that's, that's the, the, the message in the book, right? It is expected to bring us, bring us back, lead us back to God under the protection because it says, 
you have covered yourself with a cloud so that no prayer can go through. It's as if they are cut off from God, right? But that this punishment is, is meant to bring them back into communion with God, back into relationship with God, back into covenant relationship with God. So I believe that sometimes when prayers are not being heard, and, and, and obviously I'm not God, and there are different reasons and, and, and why guys are answering at that moment. But as we look at it from time to time, we, we can say that, you know, God was allowing them to experience their punishment. And because often we're going to see in even Ezekiel that everything has a time. God is given a time for this punishment time. It's not specific in Lamentations, um, but you, you'll see it in Jeremiah also. So that could be a play in there where God is allowing the, the timing of the punishment to take its place. Mm-hmm. Right, so that could be a reason why God wasn't hearing or listening or answering a prayers in that moment. Um, but God always comes back around. And we're going to see that in, a, in the next question. We're going to see that in the next Mercy. question. Yeah. Okay. So this very next question, here it is. Um, it says, in chapter one, God seems to be unmerciful. But by Lamentations chapters three, verses 21 to 33, God is merciful. How do you explain these two views of God in the same book? And it continues on to say, and how is Lamentations chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 supposed to bring comfort to the Israelites when they were devastated? And finally, based on those verses, and this, again, this viewer thinks it's Jeremiah speaking, but based on those verses, what does Jeremiah mean by new mercies every morning? So the first question, right? Mm-hmm. How do yeah, we there's a bit there. There's a bit there. Two views of God in the same book, because at one hand we see God as a this God who is meeting out judgment, right? And then in this long expose, in this long poem, we find mercy. them lavishing about God's goodness and God's grace and God's mercy, right? Mm-hmm. So how do we explain that? Well, verse. Uh, 38 in chapter 3. I want to read that for us. Verse 38 in chapter 3 says this. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Mm -hmm. Is it not from the mouth of the Lord that good and bad come? So this question is drawing again on Deuteronomistic theology to say that good comes from obedience, right? And bad comes from disobedience. That's the, that's the underlining concept behind the question. Don't you recognize that God is a covenant God? That God blesses those who do good and, and, and punishes those who disobey? That's kind of the question that's being asked here. Right? Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't you recognize this? Right? So it's not a conflicting view. It's not, it's not necessarily like this two different views right? that are being portrayed of God in the same book. It's showing again, drawing again on Deuteronomistic theology to say that God was punishing them, but God is still merciful that God is not going to punish them to the extent where they are obliterated or no longer God's covenant people, Mm. right? So there is, again, a call back to God. This Them recognizing in the midst of their punishment that God is merciful, that, that that God's mercies are new every day. Is, is to say to us, let us turn from our wicked ways then. Yeah. And come to God. And that speaks to us in, in, in right now too, right? When we find ourselves in those places, sometimes we're going through some, some tough and difficult moments. Um, I mean, I, my past week has been a very difficult week. Mm. And um, 
have I questioned God? Of course, I've questioned God in that period, but I, I, I still, I still, you know, you know what reminded me? Let me give, let me tell you what happened. I had a, I had a serious accident, and the moment after I, you know, call the 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 the, the police and and everything and and the insurance and everything, I was just down and burdened and beaten like. I could have lost my, there's so many questions were in my mind. Yeah. Where I came home and then there's this little boy, you know, Yay, there it and is. he starts laughing. Smiling. He, he doesn't know what's happening, right? Smiling. He has no clue yes. that I had an accident a while ago. And then he, I, I, you know, I come home and I take him and he starts smiling. I'm like, look at grace and mercy. Look mm-hmm. how God is. Then I was reminded, mm-hmm. I was reminded in those moments of God's goodness. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, Yes, while God is laying out the punishment for sins, it's a call back for us to come back to this merciful God, to recognize that God is still merciful. God's mercies are new every day, and we can come back to God. Um, so uh, jumping ahead to this third question in this, the part B, Lamentations, is it supposed, how was it supposed to bring comfort to the Israelites who were devastated? In the same way I said it, it was an invitation to come back to God in covenant relationship because God is merciful and God's mercies are new every day. So if I read some of those languages, you, you'll find that it kind of echoes um, the Exodus language of how God describes God's self as a covenant God. The steadfast love of God never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, my soul says my soul, I will hope in him. So there's echoes of this God of the Exodus, this covenant God who made a covenant with Israel that I will bless you when, you, when you're obedient and I will punish you when, when you do, 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 do bad, when you disobey. So there again, we're, it's, a, it's a call back to God. And the final part is um, what Jeremiah means by new mercies every morning. Um, well, what do Jeremiah mean by new mercies every morning? Um, if we look in our own life, that's, that's, that's a, I'm not going to say it's an easy answer because sometimes we become so used to life to wake up every morning that we think it's a right to wake up, mm. right? Okay. Um, we get up every day and we drive home safely and we think it's a right to go out and come back home safely. <laughs> um, and we have hey. food on our tables <laughs> and it's a right to have food on our tables, we have a roof over our head and we think it's our right to have. So it's it's not too far from us to understand what man means by new mercies are new every day. Um, mm-hmm. It's around us. God's mercies are around us in, in the sunshine. And it might, might sound um, simplistic, um, um, simple, but it's not simplistic. It, God's mercies are seen every, every day. Every day and everywhere. I know sometimes you just look around you. And you just, yeah. if you stop and honestly think, if you stop and honestly just take a moment and think about how your body works, like the, what it takes for you to wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, when you actually mm-hmm. just think about something like that, when you think about the, the child that's smiling, what it took for this child, you know what I mean? When you think about how, how many things had to be avoided mm-hmm. for you to be able to drive to and from work. If you can't yeah. remember, the mercies, <laughs> hey, yeah, then yeah. we need to have a whole other Bible study on just the mercies <laughs> that God provides every single day. Because okay. if you pause for just a minute and think about it, then you realize that his mercies are truly, truly, true, new, new every single morning. So, um, so to go to the next question, 
uh, Ezekiel. So now we're going into Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a heavy one. Mm -hmm. uh, but it says Ezekiel is one of the five major prophets. So we're starting with kind of an overview question. Ezekiel right. is one of the five major prophets. Why are some prophets called major and others minor? So um, my very good friends, the Thomases, they, they, they answer this question last week, but it's a good comeback question. Um, and uh, as was said, it's, it's known, the, 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 the designations major and minor um, are not in reference to their significance, right? It's not in reference to their significance to say they are major because they're more important or, you know, they are, you know, minor because they are of less importance. It's more about the size of the books, like the contents of the book. Um, uh, as as we, we know, Jeremiah, um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, these are like the, some some big books, right? If you, if you take a time to read them, you find how big they are, right? Versus mm -hmm. Isaiah, Joel, and all of these books. So it's really about contents and not necessarily about their significance, um, okay. significance of their contents, because all of these books being a part of the of, of the Bible, the biblical corpus, um, is significant for all of us and is very instructive for us. All of scripture, the Bible says, right, has been God-breathed and, and is for all of us for benefit. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Okay, so then another kind of overview question for Ezekiel. It's asking, what is the central theme of the book of Ezekiel? And part two kind of says, what lesson from that book can we apply in our lives today? So in terms of the major theme in Ezekiel, we're going to find that there's this big thing about God's glory, right? There's this big, because we're going to see where in chapter one, I mean, I'm jumping ahead, but in chapter one, we see these mystical images, these beasts and these fires and all of these things, which are symbols or signs of God's presence and glory, right? And uh, we see them moving about and all this stuff. And then we see where the, 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 that presence left, leaves, leaves the temple, right? So there's a big thing about the glory of God, God restoring God's own glory, um, not just more, more so because Israel has brought some kind of shame on God's glory as God's people, right? That led them into captivity. And now God has to come to vindicate God's own name right, to, to, to bring back honor to God's glory. And so the glory of God is a major theme in, it's one major theme in the book of Ezekiel. Um, and it, it tells us that in applying it to ourselves, we serve a glorious God and how we live ought to bring honor and glory to God's name, right? And we're going to see in, in the, in the book of Ezekiel, that that's one of the major problems. The, the, the people keep turning away from God and turning to idols and going after crazy stuff when they have this, this God who's so close to them yet so far from them, right? Because of God's glory. It's God's glory is there, but it's God is so mighty and so powerful that they can't grasp God. So this concept of glory causing the people to honor honor this God who they serve as as again as a covenant keeping God. So that's that's a big one of the major themes in um 
say that's a that's a big theme. <laughs> big theme. That's and a big theme. theme. And so it calls us. To, this big theme calls us to holy living, right? To say that as God's people, um, because you're going to find that in Ezekiel, the problem is that people are living unholy. They are worshiping idols, and and the priests and and these they are all doing that. And um, yeah, so it, they were, it's a call. It's a call to holy living. It's a call to holy living. Perfect. Okay. Okay. Okay, so this is a, a big one um, in Ezekiel as well, this next question. So this is going into Ezekiel in the wheel. Ezekiel mentions wheels a few times in chapters 1, verses 15 to 21, and then again in chapters 10, verses 9 to 13. How significant is that? And what do wheels refer to in Ezekiel and in the Bible in general? And then... Another person, this question kind of goes alongside it because it also says in chapters 1, verses 9 through 13, 15 and 16, I know this is a lot, sorry, Ezekiel talks about wheels within wheels. Is that a description of heaven? So let's talk about these wheels in Ezekiel. <laughs> let's just kind of go it's through so, all. Right. So I want to pinpoint a verse. Um, and let me see if I can find a verse. Uh, I think it's where it speaks about the presence of the appearance of the likeness of, let me find that first there. I should have taken note of this, but yeah. It, 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 it says something significant, which, which um, it speaks about the, the, the fact that it's, it's the glory of God, right? It says that the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Um, I missed the reference, but the point is, Ezekiel is making every effort, right? And as I said, he's, 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 a, he's, a, he's kind of a mystical prophet, right? He's making every effort to present God as this transcendent being who, who is, you know, supernatural, who is present among the people, but is still unreachable to the people because they are living unholy. Mm, okay. Right? okay so this this image of of now there's a kind of a similar i think it was uh god speaking to the prophet um elijah in in whirlwind right so god was using different means and ways of speaking to the people right but this the presence of this wheel in a wheel and all these creatures it is to signal that God is still with Israel. It, is, it was supposed to give them hope that God was still with them even in the midst of their captivity, that they were not alone, right? And, and God's glory was still with them and that should have given them hope in, in their circumstance. They were not abandoned. God was not going to leave them alone. Um, and their faith wasn't uncertain because God is with them. And as we go to the end of the book of Ezekiel, we're going to find that it moves from destruction to restoration, right? Um, mm -hmm. From destruction to restoration, when the, the, the spirit leaves the temple and all of that, to the point where God is restoring, you know, prophesying, restoring, and all of that. So the key here is God is calling the prophets. It's a part of the prophet's call to ministry. So it's a, it's a word of encouragement to him that God's going to be with him in, in the midst of prophesying to his people in captivity. And it's a message to the people also that God, the symbol of God's presence 
is is with them to say that they are not they are not alone. Mm, okay, mercy. So, um, so this next one goes into the new heart, and mm. I, I like to do. I think I mentioned I, I think a couple episodes back with you that I love to watch um, the Bible Project on YouTube before I, I go into my chapters. So this was really interesting how they put this one because it says Ezekiel often talks about a new heart. In Ezekiel eleven nineteen, he writes, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. What does that mean? And what does a new heart describe in the Bible? So just really quickly in the Bible project, they're basically showing just how hardened the hearts were of the people that were taken and put into exile from, from Babylon. I mean, these guys... <laughs> I mean, they literally had like the spirit of God right there with them and the spirit had to leave because mm -hmm. they were in the temple worshiping other. And I'm just like, mercy. Like, so I, I'm really curious to hear how, you know, this one specifically with the, the new heart and how God like chased them down to really not like, you know, renew and give them the new heart that they needed to be able to truly, truly I don't know. Go right, ahead. Right. I'll let you. Right. I'll let you go. So, so, so no, good. Very, very, very good setup. That's a very good setup because, again, we are going back to covenant language, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of stone, this idea of, of you know, flesh, of flesh of this exchange, um, and in Jeremiah, you 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 hear about writing on their hearts. So it's going back to it's it's uh, it's it's beckoning on on covenant language, right? Mm -hmm. Now. Uh, Ezekiel here is very, he's very dramatic. <laughs> Ezekiel is very dramatic. Yeah, he, he, yes. He's portraying God <laughs> as this, God as this moral surgeon, right? And God is going to go in and, and perform a moral and, 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 um, and spiritual surgery because God's going to go in and, and it, it's, it's, God says it's something is wrong with the heart, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say what I mean, right? So, <laughs> so I've got to remove this stony heart. It's it's not receiving. It's it's not. It's not porous enough. It's not able to receive what I have to give. It's it's so it's so hardened. It, it cannot. It, there's no space. There's no space to receive. So I'm going to remove surgically this right. this hardness. This moral hardness the spiritual hardness and put in you a heart of flesh, something that is penetrable, right? So God, God is going to perform a moral surgery. Now, when it talks about the, 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 the heart now, the heart is symbolic of the will in a sense, right? The mind, the will. So when it says that God is going to give them a new heart, God is going to give them, is going to repurpose or reorientate or redirect their will. Right now, God is saying, your mind is turned towards um, idolatry, immorality, and all of these things. And, and uh, I'm not getting through to you because your heart is so, so, so tough, so impenetrable. So I'm going to work on you, but also this change of heart from stone to flesh is a is a reorientation. I'm gonna redirect your mind, your will, your moral will and power towards God's holiness rather than immorality. And 
it's not going to happen. You can't do it on your own. You need me to do it. And yeah, that's a message for way. us today. Right, that's a message for us today. Um, uh, the heart of man is desperate. Well, Jeremiah, right? The heart of man is desperately wicked and everything. So we, we have to have a heart surgery. So God has to direct, give us the power to submit our will to God's will so God can really, see, oh, look how I far see. God has to go to save us, right? <laughs> this is how far God has to go to save us. Okay? Yeah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank Mercy. You. <laughs> I didn't know that God was a cardiologist. Yeah. I mean, I knew he had a lot of hats. But yeah, this is just a cardiologist as well. This is just a moment of praise. And I'm praying that God continues to, to, to give me daily surgery. I need daily surgery, Jesus. Um, I, I need daily surgery. Do it, do it to me, Jesus. Do it to me, right? Because that's the only way this God can really reorient us into the will of God, mm -hmm. right? God has to come in and work in us. We don't have the power of ourselves and the willpower to submit and to surrender. So God to the power of the spirit and with surgical tools, the surgical tools of the spirit has to come and do a heart surgery. <laughs> oh, help me, Jesus. Has to do a heart. Oh, yes. This one is chilly. <laughs> it's, just, it's, just, it's just speaking to me right now. It's just, it's just yeah. speaking to me. Yeah. 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 Hello. Honestly, I, I shared with you when you mentioned your car accident earlier, mm -hmm. It it's almost interesting how that happens because you you don't you don't you don't mentally necessarily make a choice you literally realize that god has done it i don't know how to explain it because i shared with you before that i went through my little phase my little college phase where you know church was just what i did on saturday that that was really it and then i, I there must have been a lot of people praying for me because <laughs> Because I literally woke up and was like, no, this isn't it. Like, this isn't it, you know? And I can tell you that that was that moment where my heart was changed, you know? Um, and the devil didn't like it because I shared with you. Then after that, he tried to take me out a couple of different times, a couple of different ways. And, but God made sure I knew that he was walking alongside me and holding my hand and bringing me back and making sure that you know, I knew that it was him that changed my heart and is now here in it. So it's a, it's a, it's an amazing thing when it happens, when, when you do realize that your heart has truly been changed, when you're able to look back and see it and then kind of see like what you were doing and how you got out of it and how you were spared and kept safe and now where you are. Yeah. It's, it's miraculous to say the least. Mm -hmm. So so I'm thanking God for you on this line. I'm thanking God for me on this line because, <laughs> listen, I'll tell you right now, we're both in testimonies of, Amen. of Amen. God changing hearts and, and being there in the midst. So, hi, mercy. All right. So we're going to change tones a little bit here for this next question. I, I need to look these guys up when I saw this next question. So I never really looked into what these guys truly believe, but. It says, Ezekiel's chapters eight and nine speak about the man with the inkhorn. The Shepherd Rod organization uses this passage to say that Seventh-day Adventists, us, we need to die for our apostasy. What is the right interpretation of this passage? And I guess that's a whole other Bible study because I've never really truly looked into the Shepherd Rod organization, but now I'm very curious. But just answer the chapters eight and nine in Inkhorn. Okay, so, I can look that up. 
<laughs> so, so no, chapter eight is, as I was reading chapter eight, I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, it must have been so horrifying and shocking to the prophet to witness these things as he's been brought around by the spirit. Um, he is seeing some abominations in the temple that are unthinkable, <laughs> right? Um, and and I, I can't go through, through all of them. Um, but very often, and, and this kind of, a, it's rhythmic, it's, 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 it's rhythmic, right? There's a rhythm to it how God brought me here and I see this. God brought me there and I see this. God brought me there and I see this. And, and all he's seeing is all these abominations and the people are bowing down and they are worshiping and they're, they're turning their faces to this. And then comes chapter nine, mm-hmm. right? And here again, we're seeing again the Deuteronomistic theology. We have evidence of these people sinning, disobeying, and turning away from God. And God says, okay, I'm sending in a scribe. The ink man is a scribe, right? who who has taken account of all that has happened and will declare and write into its fullness my punishment upon you. And then we we witness the horror, right, of the people, it says, let me read verse, I think it's verse 9. Let me see if it's verse 9. Verse, let me see. I think it's verse verse 6. Verse, verse six, here it says, mm-hmm. instead of verse five, to the others he said in my hearing, pass through the city after him, kill, your eye shall not spare and you shall not, you shall show no pity. Mm-hmm. Cut down old men, young men, young women, little children and women, but touch no one who has the mark. So remember now, in chapter 9, one is sent out to put a mark. And, and this echoes back again to what? Exodus, right? Mm-hmm. When the blood is put on doorposts and an angel of death comes and those who are marked, yeah. they are untouched. Okay. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's echoing back, arcing on that, right? And we see the same thing here where God puts a mark, the, the ink man rather, the, 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 the scribe. Um, uh, so those who are marked are spirit, but those who are not marked are are crucified and here's what it says at the ending of verse six and begin at my sanctuary the temple so they begin so they began the elders who were in front of the house you've heard it judgment will begin in the house of god (laughs) right that's the message here judgment will begin in the house of god the sanctuary is where the judgment began in prophetic terms but also here in terms of god meeting up justice judgment for the abominations that were done in the temple right and so from the shepherd's right perspective i'm not sure how they apply this to the seven adventists how they attribute uh, where they're attributing apostasy to us as a church or to, to denomination but from the text itself, it's what the text is telling us is that chapter nine is God's punishment on chapter eight, mm-hmm. right? God's reaction in chapter nine is what is based on what happened in chapter eight. Now, that for us is also 
if, if, if for one, for better or that now, it, it's a warning. The judgment begins in the house of God and it began with the elders, right? And so those of us, and I, and I took this for myself, you know, in, in my role as a pastor, it's a lot of responsibility, a lot of accountability upon me. And, and um, I have to put myself in a place where I'm really surrendered day by day. And I can't tell you that I'm surrendered every day by day. I, I can't tell you that. Right? I, I, can't, I, re, I can't sit here and tell you that. And so when I, when I read this, that it began with the house of God and it began with the elders, it just, it just brought to me, mm. you know, what God, the, the responsibility and the accountability that's upon me as a pastor um, mm. to lead God's people. And, and we're going to find in Ezekiel where, where he's going to talk about um, sheep as pastors leading God's people. And we're going to see, you know, because it was a, the leaders who were leading the people astray. Right? Right? So for me, that, that hit hard when I read this question. It, it, hit, it, it hit hard for me. Um, yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't know how, how Shepard Rod applies to certain I don't know their basis or their arguments for the evidence to say that we have apostatized to apply it to us. Um, yeah. But what we can say from the text itself is that chapter 9 is showing God's judgment on the, on the abominations of chapter 8. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. I mentioned I'm gonna have to look them up a little bit more and see exactly <laughs> how because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. But okay, so this is actually the last question, um, and it's actually a little looking ahead um, because it says that you preached about dry bones a few weeks ago, and they said, "What is the meaning of the valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37?" Although Ezekiel 37 won't be discussed till a couple more episodes. Um, we thought we'd ask you since you won't be on when it's discussed. So what is the meaning of the Valley of the Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37 that you preached about recently? All right. So Israel, the people of God, found themselves in a place where they had no hope, right? The temple of God is destroyed. The glory has left the temple. Um, and they're wondering now, where is God in all of this? If the tempest is destroyed, if the glory has gone, are we left alone to our own demise? Is there no hope for us? Is there, what's going to happen to us, right? And, the, and when you read further down in, in verse 37, chapter 37, I think about verse 13, 14, uh, and I probably should read it. They talk about how their hope has been dried up, right? And that's why God send, uh, God presents this vision to the prophet. Let me see it uh, right here. Uh, I think it's 13, 14. All right, yeah. Uh, verse 14, right here. All right, it says, um, verse 11, rather. They said to me, my said, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They, are, they say, Israel says, our bones are dried up. So Israel, in their minds, were thinking that they were like dry bones. And there was no hope for dry bones. Everyone knows that there's no hope for dry bones. If you get a cut, uh, it doesn't matter how deep it is. Um, if there's flesh, it can be, be dressed and taken care of. Um, but if it's just bones, there, there's no sense that that can be resurrected or brought to life, right? Yeah. So God gave the prophet this vision um, as a message of hope to the people, right? And the valley... 
as, as we're going to see in the, in the chapter, the valley is presented as a battlefield, right? Where there are the bones of the warriors are, 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 light, are laid there and they are dried. They are there a long time. Um, they are disconnected. There is no, no sign of life, meaning no sign of hope. But then God sends a prophet to prophesy to the, to the winds and the, the, and the winds again, the spirit, right? The spirit of God, prophet of the spirit who comes and energizes these dead bones to cause flesh and, and to come upon them. So the message was, Israel, your hope has not dried up. Mercy. I am the God who can do things that you don't even think I can do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my presence is not limited to a temple, right? Remember, we're mm-hmm. talking about the glory of God and, and, and um, how God was in this, this symbol of the wheels and stuff where it is, it's, it's moving, it, it, it's, it's close to us, but we can't reach it. Mm-hmm. That's the glory of God, right? It's close to us, but we can't, we can't reach it because it's, it's God's glory, that's God's, that's God's power. God, they thought that if, the temp- if God is in the temple, there's no hope. Well, God is saying to them, listen, even though I'm not in the temple, I am still among you, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's still hope for you. And all you have to do, remember we just talked about the new heart and the spirit, Allow my spirit to come in you and you will find hope. Mm. Right? And so it's a message of hope to all to them then and to us now that when we feel ourselves in, in times of spiritual dryness, moral dryness, um, whatever dryness we might experience, and, and it feels that there's no hope for us. Um, God is sending a message of hope to us that what seems dead to us can be made alive by God. Mercy. Right? And, and God will do that through the spirit of God. Um, so that's, that's a, in, in summary and in the best, in the simplest ways, um, the Valley of Jai Bones. I think that's a beautiful way to, to end this segment um, with just the reminder that God can make anything new. Uh, that's, that's really the, the summary of that one then. Um, so that's, uh, that concludes the questions that we received for this segment. Um, I want to invite you guys, viewers, to start reading Ezekiel 18 to Ezekiel chapter 18 to Ezekiel chapter 35 for next week. Um, and as you're reading and as you're going through, if you have any questions, again, that phone number we mentioned before, you just text your questions directly to 954-388-8780. Your question will be recorded and it will be given to your presenters, um, Pastor Paul and Lenny Anderson for next week. Now, the one thing I do like to emphasize is as you're reading through, please, please, please try not to read everything in one day. Um, I mentioned that the Bible app and certain things, they do have uh, audios. You can listen to it while you're folding laundry, while you're just driving in the car. However, you know, you're doing life, just hit play on the chapter that you're supposed to listen to. So you get a little piece and piece at a time. And that's really the best way to digest everything that happens, because a lot of these are very heavy, especially now that we're into the prophets. So Pastor McCoy, really quickly, what can our viewers expect um, as they go through chapters 18 through chapters 35 in Ezekiel? Right, so we're going to see a lot of, and I didn't mention this a lot, um, particularly because we didn't get many questions on it, but we're going to see a lot of what what are called sign acts, um, where God acts a prophet to prophesy by living out the prophecy, enacting the prophecy, um, yeah. and making those things real. 
And we're going to see where God is sending oracles against the nation. So those who, those who punish Israel things they should not think they're going to get away, right? God used you as a rod of punishment, but don't think you're going to get away because God is going to come and, and punish you for your own evil. Um, also, we're going to see where God is going to give Israel, as we spoke about in verse chapter 37, we're going to see visions of hope, right? God's telling Israel that, listen, I'm coming back to you. Your time is going to end. Um, your time of punishment is going to end, and you're going to come back again into this restored, restored promised land, right? So that's, that's as I mentioned, we're going to move from destruction to restoration in the book of, of Ezekiel. So as you guys are reading, we just want to remind you to invite your viewer, invite you guys to have your family members, your friends, your coworkers um, read alongside with you. You can do this as a small group Bible study, however you'd like to do it. Just make sure you're inviting friends and family along as well. Pastor McCoy, we want to thank you. We want to thank you very much for being here this evening and just giving us a deeper insight, a deeper view into Ezekiel and Lamentations that we've had today. Um, and honestly, we're just grateful that you're here especially with what happened this week. We just thank God for his mercy that he that he showed you this week, um, this past week, two weeks, I mean. Um, so guys, again, just want to remind you to subscribe to Plantation SDA's YouTube channel so you can be automatically notified of future episodes or any other live stream that we have coming up. So Pastor McCoy, could you pray for us to close this evening? Definitely. Let us pray, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a glorious God. And though you are a transcendent being, you come close to us through many means and methods to show that you are present with us through whatever we're going through. Help us to live a holy life to honor your glorious nature. To do so, we ask that you remove from us the stony heart and give us a heart of flesh that your spirit can work in us so we can live in obedience to your will for our lives. Grant us full submission of our will to yours because we cannot do it of ourselves. We're asking this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Plantation SDA Church presents the Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible day. Join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m discussion from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible Unmasked.